going to be studying Ephesians chapter 3, so if you'll turn there, um, and then we are also going to, Lord willing, get over to the Hebrews passage as well. So Ephesians chapter 3. Let's pray. Fathers, we come now, we just ask once again for grace. Father, this passage, this book, the book of Ephesians is so beautiful, so overwhelming. It's so grand that um, we just feel like we scratch the surface every week. Father, please help us. Come with the power of your Holy Spirit. Just open the eyes of our heart. Open the eyes of our heart that when these truths are being proclaimed that we will see them with spiritual wisdom and understanding by the work of your Holy Spirit. Please help us. Please bless us. And Father, please let these, these words have the effect upon our lives that they're, they're to have. I pray for myself in this. I pray for all of us. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. If you look in your bulletin, you'll notice that the sermon title is, Which One Wins? Which One Wins? And I'm using that as sort of a, 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 an understanding of what I, and this is the question that I want to ask you is, when life comes at you, and, and, and I'm talking about every week, when life comes at you, every day, as life comes at you, circumstances come at you, which one wins? Does your faith overcome your circumstances, or do your circumstances overcome your faith? Does your faith overcome the emotions that your circumstances bring? So a circumstance can come into your life, and all of a sudden you're worried. A circumstance comes into your life, and all of a sudden you're anxious and you're afraid. A circumstance comes into your life, and all of a sudden you're filled with emotions that you don't want to have. You're angry, or you're bitter, or you're vengeful, or you're unforgiving. Does your faith overcome those emotions, or do those emotions overcome your faith? And that's what we're going to look at today, because Paul, in writing the book of Ephesians, is going to help us. Now, I know that when I preach, I, I talk a lot about Paul, and I talk a lot about the Ephesians, because Paul is the author of this writer to the Ephesians. But nevertheless... I want you to understand that when I say that, I say that with the absolute full confidence that Paul was under the inspiration and direction of the Holy Spirit, and he was writing the infallible, inerrant Word of God, and that this Word of God is for us today. So even though I will sometimes refer to Paul or the Ephesians, I'm talking about the Holy Spirit speaking to us, God's message to us today. And that's what I think we'll be able to see in this text. Now, what we're going to do, focus on today, the three verses are going to be verses 11, 12, and 13. Now, this concludes the, the great digression. Remember that chapter 3, verses 1 through 13, is actually a digression. Paul says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you. And then he, he kind of goes in this glorious digression, which we've been studying for weeks now, and says all kinds of stuff. And then he'll come back to what he meant to say in verse 14, because notice he repeats, for this reason, I bow my knees. And so this is a great dig digression. But as we've been looking at this digression, we have been, we've been examining um, the, the, the mystery of what God has done. So let's just look in the context again. Look at chapter 3, verse 8. I'll start there. 
To me, Paul says, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to make all to see what is the fellowship of the mystery. There's that mystery, that plan that we've been looking at. Which has been from the which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. So there's that mystery that from before time began was hidden in God. God had this plan at work in his heart and mind. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. God is now revealing this ministry, making it known through the church. And that brings us then to verse 11. In verse 11, then is something of a summary verse. He says this, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So here Paul is sort of referring to that eternal plan, that eternal purpose. In other words, Paul is saying this, God had an eternal, eternal, forever, eternal, an eternal plan. I have a plan, God said. This is what I'm going to do. This is how it's going to work out. This is my great plan. And this plan was amazingly glorious, okay? And Paul, from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, all the way through to Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 11, has been opening up this amazing plan that God has been doing. And he started it from the beginning. And here's the hard thing about preaching a book like Ephesians. Every single phrase seems to just be bursting with glory and light and truth and amazement. You want to just click your heels. And because of that, you can lose sight of what's being said. This is why I keep going back to, to reviewing so that you get the grandeur of the sweep of it all. So let's just review where Paul has been. And what you might find helpful at this point is just take your Bible, look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, and I'm going to go down through. I'm not going to read the verses, but as you, your eyes sort of go down, hopefully what's going to happen is you're going to remember what we've been preaching through for the last 8 or 10 months, and, you'll, and you'll, you'll see this. But I want you to just understand this great plan of what God has done. We'll just, we'll just uh, review it, survey it very quickly. Paul begins in chapter 3 and verse 1 saying that, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. There's a summary of the whole book. And he says this, and then he goes on to talk about these spiritual blessings. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world to holiness. He adopted, predestined us to be adopted as children. Here's the plan. I'm going to have these children. I'm going to adopt them. They're going to be my children. By Christ Jesus, to the praise of the glory of his grace, I'm going to show forth my grace. I'm going to reveal my grace by adopting these people. That's what, Paul, that's what uh, this is saying. And I'm going to do all of that through, look at verse 7, the blood of my son. I'm going to redeem them through the blood of my son, and they're going to have the forgiveness of sins. As I lavish my grace out upon them, my grace is going to be displayed when my dear son bleeds to death upon the cross for these people that I'm going to adopt to be my children. And it's all going to be grace. It's all going to be grace. I'm going to show grace. And angels are going to be in amazement. The very son of God, our Lord. Our Lord who created us. Our Lord, the archangels are going to say, he's hanging there, dying. This is grace. This is all grace. And then Paul goes on to say this. And, and, and God's plan is to 
to redeem the whole world and to, to, to remove all of sin and to put all things under the headship of Christ. That's what verse 10 is about. And then Paul says, and God's going to give us all this as an inheritance. It's ours. Verse 11, God has given us this inheritance. And then he's going to go on to say that God is going to seal this in our hearts by giving us the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to be a guarantee and a down payment of what's to come. This new heavens, this new earth, this inheritance. And then he's going to say, and I'm going to pray. And Paul always then tries to pray it in. So at the end of chapter 1, Paul says, and this is what I pray, that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, that you would know the hope. Look at verse 18. You would know the riches. And then in verse 21 and 20 uh, to, to the end of the chapter, that you would that, that Christ has been raised above all principalities and powers for you, the church. And then he says this amazing thing, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And then he gets real personal in chapter 2. He talks about us. He says, you were dead in trespasses and sins. You were dead. You were an enemy of God. But grace got poured out upon you. And God said, see my dead enemy there who would like to kill me, who is aligned with Satan? Come alive and be my child. And he made us alive together with Christ Jesus. And resurrection power came in and made us alive. And he, he raised us with Christ and he has seated us with Christ. By grace we've been saved. We didn't earn this by works. By grace God saved us. And then Paul talks about in chapter 2 of how the Gentiles are brought in to make one new humanity now. There's no longer Jew and Gentile. We're one new humanity. The Gentiles are fellow citizens too. The Gentiles are part of God's household. And God is making this family, this household, and this living temple, he's making it out of this one new humanity. And then Paul gets to chapter 3 and starts to pray it all in again. But he gets diverted by, by this beautiful Holy Spirit-directed diversion. And he starts to talk about how the, the mystery that has been given to the apostles, how this mystery has been made known. And we Gentiles, look at verse 6, 3, 6. We're fellow heirs. We're the same body. We're partakers. There is no Jew nor Gentile anymore. We're one in this beautiful family of God. And God is displaying all of this to the principalities and powers, verse 10. And then at verse 11, chapter 3, verse 11, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Look what he's done. And that leads us to verse 12, which I suddenly, as soon as Tyler stood up here and opened his mouth, I thought, he's preaching my sermon. <laughs> Tyler, I love that you did. Boldness and access, that's what the whole sermon's about today. And, and, and I turned to Jan and I said, Tyler's just about to preach my sermon. And she said, no, the Holy Spirit's at work. Calm down. She's right. <laughs> so anyway, verse 12, verse 12. In whom, so notice verse 11, he ends with Christ Jesus our Lord. In whom, that's in Christ, in union with Christ. That's been the main theme, our union with Christ. We have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. That's verse 12. Now, again, do the exegesis. In whom, in Christ, in union with Christ, we have two things, boldness and access. And we have access with confidence. Paul's heaping words here together. And this all comes about through faith in Christ. Now, let's look at these words for a few minutes. We have boldness. Boldness. Listen to what one of the Greek lexicons defined this word that's being used here by Paul. Free and fearless confidence. Free and fearless confidence. I love this next one. Cheerful courage. 
cheerful courage, boldness, assurance. Now notice what is being said here in verse 11. We have boldness and access. Boldness and access. We have boldness walking into the presence of God. That's what Paul is saying here. Now, this is actually a radical, courageous, and if it wasn't Holy Spirit-directed, blasphemous thing to say. You see, dear friends, because by nature, none of us have boldness to, to enter in the presence of God. God is glorious. God is majestic. God is great. He is full of grandeur. He is holy. He is transcendent. He is above us. He is other than us. He is way excellent beyond us. He, his, his presence is so special. No one, no one has the right to bold access to a God who is so great as this. The sinless angels do not have bold access to God. Human beings, apart even from sin, us. You know who we are, dear friends? The angels are spiritual beings. They're sinless, the, the, the unfallen angels. They tremble in the presence of God. They don't, they don't go walking in with bold access to God, let alone us. We are dirt people. We are made of dust. We were formed out of the dust. We will return to dust. We are Adam dirt people. Dust people, we do not, we do not dare feel like we have bold access to the eternal, forever, all-powerful, almighty, all-glorious, all-wise, all-knowing, holy, pure, majestic God. We don't have bold access. And we especially don't have bold access because we're fallen sinners. Fallen sinners don't have bold access to God. When people say to me, when I die, I'm going to stand before God and say, why did you make mosquitoes? I'm going to say to them, no, you're not. It's never even going to occur to you. In fact, you're not going to speak. Till you're allowed to, till you're spoken to, and then you will probably not have the ability to speak. How do I know that? Well, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5, you know the word. Isaiah's in the temple and he sees the, 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 the Lord high and lifted up. And what is the first words that come out of Isaiah's mouth? What about mosquitoes? Nope. Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Oh, no. When Samson's parents, when Samson's parents were being told that they were going to have this, this baby, and they were, going to they were supposed to treat him in a certain way, and they, they had been infertile up to that point, the, 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 the angel of the Lord, the, Lord, the, the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ meets them, and they're, they're talking with this great, they're not sure what this is, this angel or this great, we, they don't know who it is. And then all of a sudden a miracle is done, and they realize they're in the presence of God. And in Judges 13, 22, Manoah said to his wife, we shall surely die because we have seen God. 
When, Je- when, when the disciples were with Jesus and, and they couldn't catch any fish, and Jesus said, let's throw the net over here. And they threw the net over there and they pulled this net in. And all of a sudden, Peter realized it. We're told in Luke 5, 8, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' feet and knees and said, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O God. See, these people understood. We do not have boldness and access before God because we're sinners and we're dirt people and we're lower. We, we, we don't have that kind of boldness and access. But notice what Ephesians is saying. Now, in Christ Jesus, we have boldness. We have this fearless confidence, this cheerful courage to enter into the presence of God. And we have, notice the next word, access, access. Now, we've already looked at this in chapter 2 and verse 18. Look at chapter 2 and verse 18. For through him, through Christ, we both, Jew and Gentile, have access by one spirit to the Father. We have access. This word is only used three times in the New Testament, but they're really significant. It's used here in 2.18. It's used here in 3.12, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence. And it's also used in Romans 5.2. When speaking of Christ, it says this, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace. We have access into grace by faith in which we stand. Notice that we stand, we have access by grace, and we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Christians have boldness and access to God, access with confidence. Now, how do I, how can I illustrate this? I don't know if you remember, but several weeks ago, I illustrated it by a man who's a big corporate CEO and everybody's afraid. I'm going to illustrate it a different way this way, this time. Kids, I want you to listen. I'm telling you a story. You ready? You ready? Okay. You guys ready? Everybody ready? I don't see I don't see all the kids. Uh, Maggie, you ready? You're laying, you're not a kid, but okay, Maggie's ready. All right, here we go. I'm gonna tell you a story. In fact, Maggie, I'm gonna use the name Maggie. I I I'm it's I am actually gonna use that name, but it's because it fits into where this is going anyway. So it doesn't have anything to do with you, it fits into it. Kind of does actually have to do with you because we all have access, but here we go. I want you to picture a, a grade school, okay? I want you to picture grade school, and there's a girl in the grade school, and her name is Jill, okay? I'm just giving her Jill. I just picked it up, Jill. And Jill is in the grade school, and uh, she's in grade school, and all of a sudden, a new, a new, a new uh, girl comes into her class, and her name is Maggie. And Maggie is a little bit shy and a little bit low-key and a little bit hard to get to know, and so Jill reaches out to Maggie and becomes her friend. And so Jill and Maggie become really good friends. And Jill and Maggie uh, hang out together. And after school, they, they run around town together and everything. And, and they, they're running through town. And they live in London. They're running through town. And it's like the 12th century, OK? So they're, just, they're running through town. They get to, and they get to Buckingham Palace. Now, Buckingham Palace is where the king lives, okay? And not wimpy kings like they have in London today. I'm talking real kings, like real kings. Like, they used to have a king called Richard the Lionhearted. I love that name. I love that name. I wish, I wish my parents would name me that. He's Richard the Lionhearted. But anyway, Richard the Lionhearted. These were kings. These were real kings. They didn't have parliaments they had to listen to. They were real kings. They went to war. They led the people into battle. And these were kings, and when you walked into their presence, the king could bless you, he could, he could forgive you of all of your crimes, or he could have you executed right there on the spot, take him out and kill him. The, these Lex Rex, the king is law. That's what they were. 
So they're at Buckingham Palace, and, uh, and Jill says, wow, what would it be like to be in there? And Maggie says, you want to go in? And Jill says, we can't go in there. Maggie says, I know, wait, come here, come here, come here. So Maggie runs around the back of Buckingham Palace, and there, between dumpsters, there's a door. And she opens the door, and she says, come on, we're going in. And Jill's like, no, we can't do this. And Maggie says, yeah, come on, come on, come on, we're going to go in. And they go walking in, and they're in Buckingham Palace. And they're walking down the hallway of Buckingham Palace. And Jill is like both amazed and afraid all at the same time. We're going to get caught. Oh, look at that artwork. We're going to get caught. Oh, look at that. Look at that uh, armor, that knight's armor there. We're going to get caught. We're going to look at all the gold. We're going to get caught. And all of a sudden, a soldier shows up right there. Boom. And Jill is like, we're dead. And the soldier goes, your majesty, Princess Margaret, welcome. And Maggie says, and this is my friend Jill, Lady Jill, welcome to Buckingham Palace. And they go walking in. And, and Jill is like, what is going on here? And all of a sudden, a butler comes walking by with a tray of delicious foods. And he goes, Princess Margaret, your majesty. And she says, this is my friend Jill, Lady Jill, nice to meet you. And Maggie goes, what is that, shrimp? Oh, let me in. Here, Jill, you have some. And Jill's like, I'm eating royal shrimp. Like, I don't know, babe, is that really? This is crazy. And they go walking up, and they go walking up, walking up, and all of a sudden, they come to this big, huge room, and it's the throne room. And the king is there on the throne. He is sitting on his throne. And there's all kinds of heads of states and all kinds of important people and all kinds of important things are going on here. And people are bowing before the king and trembling before the king and legislation and action and people are being, are being, are being treated in different ways. Some of them are being jailed. And, some, and, it's, and, it's, and, and all of a sudden, Maggie, I mean, Maggie walks in that room and she sees the king and she goes running. She grabs Jill and she goes running toward the king. She goes running toward the king. There's soldiers and there's knights and there's spears and there's swords everywhere. And there's important people. And Maggie's running toward the king. She runs up to the throne and she jumps upon the king's lap and she says, Daddy. And the king hugs her and says, Maggie, it's so good to see her. And he's kissing her. How was school? How was school? And all the affairs of state stopped. And then Maggie says, oh, by the way, I want you to meet my best friend, Jill. She's become a friend of mine. And the king grabs Jill, hugs her, puts her on his big old lap. This is Richard the Lionhearted, man. I don't know. My dates may be wrong, but this is Richard the Lionhearted. And he's holding Jill, and he gives Jill a big kiss. He says, Jill, welcome. Welcome. Guys, guys get something to eat and such like that. Dear friends, that's an illustration of what Paul is trying to say right here. We have access with confidence to God. The word here, access, actually means, listen to what Thayer's lexicon says, that friendly relations with God whereby we are acceptable to him and have assurance that he is favorably deposed toward us. And this word access here actually carries the idea that our access is because somebody brought us in with him. That's why I illustrated Maggie bringing Jill in with her. It's the idea that we were brought in. Chrysostom, Chrysostom who preaching in the fourth century, said this. He said, we came not of ourselves, but Christ has brought us in. And that's what Paul was saying here. So look at verse 12. He says this. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence. See, Maggie was very confident because she knew her father. 
She knew he loved her. She went bursting in there with confidence where everybody else went in there with fear and trembling through faith in him. Through faith in him. And for Paul, what this means isn't, oh, our boldness and confidence is on this shallow, thin thing of our faith in him. That's Paul's way of talking about this union that we have in Christ. Through uniting with Christ by faith, we have boldness and confidence in his presence. And see, that's what I, I, I very, very, very poorly illustrated with Maggie bringing Jill along with her, holding her hand. Now, I want you to think of this totally totally more deeper than that. We have boldness and access in confidence in coming to God because we are in union with Jesus Christ. Not only is all of our sins forgiven, they've been cleansed and washed by his blood and he brings us into the presence of God. We come through Christ into the presence of God. Not only that, we are the same one, as it were, body with Christ. We are one with him in that sense because we are a part of his body. Look at chapter 1 in verse 23. He says, he has put all things under his feet in verse 22 to the church. Notice verse 23, which is his body. We are the fullness of him who fills all in all. We are one with Christ. And so he brings us into access. We have boldness and access to the Father. Listen to me very carefully. Let's be holy here. This is sacred and holy ground. Because Jesus has access to the Father. In union with Jesus, we have that access as well. You see, dear friends, the Bible will go on to talk about us in chapter 5 as being the bride of Christ. And when Paul gets to this idea of marriage and he's teaching the Ephesians on marriage, he, 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 he once again gets diverted back to Christ and he says, I speak of a mystery. The two shall become one flesh, Paul's going to say in chapter 5. And I speak of a mystery. I speak of the church in Christ. We are Christ's bride. We are one with Christ. As a husband and wife are one, we are one with Christ. And therefore, when when we come into the presence in the throne room of God, when Jesus brings us in, he's bringing in his bride. He's not bringing in his best, uh, it, it, like Jill, Maggie brought in Jill, her best friend from school. He's bringing in his bride. We have access to the Father in this way through faith in Christ. And I love what, um, can you guys jump down to the quote? Ray, can you jump down to the quote? I want to change the order here a little bit. I love how F.F. F. Bruce said this in his commentary, and I put it up here on the screen while Brady did for as a quote. And look at, look at what F.F. F. Bruce said. As his Jesus' place in the presence of God is unchallengeable, so is ours because we are in him. Do you see that, dear friends? We are in him him. We are in union with Christ and therefore just as Christ has this right to come boldly into the presence of his own father's throne room, we have that right. We have that boldness. We have that access because we are in union with Christ. Now, let me, let me try to help us to grasp this a little bit by, and I'm going to give due, due honor here to where honor is due. I listened to a sermon this week that made this so real for me, and it was a sermon by somebody who I listen to and love, and his name is Sinclair Ferguson. And he, was, he preached this sermon in March about how 
We are in Christ because the Father gave us to Christ. See, remember, remember in Ephesians 1 where it says this, it says, blessed, is he, blessed be God the Father who has blessed us in every spiritual blessing, chapter 3. And then look at verse 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Then verse 5, having predestined us to adoption as sons. Sinclair moved into the book of John to explain a phrase that is used by Jesus in the book of John. And that's this. Father, those whom you gave me. Those whom you gave me. And I'm going to put the, these verses up now. Now, Ray, can we go back to uh, John 6, 37? All that the Father gives me. Now, listen to Jesus. Listen to him saying these. These are all going to be quotes from Jesus. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. Then, a few verses later in John 6, Jesus says this. This is the will of my Father who sent me that all he has given me. Now, that's perfect tense. That means a completed action in the past. This is Ephesians 1, 3 and 4. Chosen in him before the foundation of the world. All that he has given me, I shall lose nothing, but will raise it up in the last day. Now, before we move from that, look, look at that verse again. This is the will of my Father who sent me, that all that he has given me, I won't lose one of them. Then in John chapter 17, Jesus has this amazing prayer at the end of his life, and he says this, as you have given him authority over all flesh, Jesus saying, as you, Father, have given me authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. My job is to give those whom you gave me eternal life. And then in John 17, 24, one of the most glorious verses in the entire Bible Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. Now let's step back for a minute and think about this. Just meditate on this for a little bit. God, before the foundation of the world, dear Christian, gave you to Jesus. <laughs> that just... Utterly blows my mind. I, I, it's, it's all I've been able to pray about this whole week. God, thank you. You gave me to Jesus. I'm giving this one to you. I'm giving him to you. He's precious to me. You, my son, are precious. I'm giving him to you. That's, a, that's an amazing miracle. It's an amazing thought. If you embrace and you believe the Bible right now, you should feel so loved. You just feel so, like, billions of years eternally loved. And then, go to the other side of that transaction. Jesus takes us from the Father. Now, Sinclair did this amazing thing at this point. He said, in one sense, we were worthless. We were fallen sinners in Adam. And it's amazing, and this would, this, the, the, the Father giving us to Jesus could be a whole sermon, okay? Jesus taking us could be another series of sermons. 
I take them in their sin. I take them in their fallenness. I take these sons of dirt, these sons of Adam, these people made of clay. I take them, and I will. T- and in taking them, I'm taking them on, and I'm going to take on their flesh, and I'm going to take on their punishment, and I'm going to be taking on their their guilt, and I'm going to take on their condemnation, and I'm going to take on your Father's wrath for them. I'm going to take that upon myself. Jesus took that upon Himself, but. Sinclair then said this, nevertheless, they were precious to Jesus because of who gave them to him. And Sinclair illustrated like this, two ways. He said, I have some stuff in my house that is absolutely economically worthless, but it's precious to me because it may be something that my father or my mother gave me. He said, I have something in my house that is absolutely economically, absolutely worthless. But it's valuable to me because a member of the royal family gave it to me. You are valuable to God the Father and God the Son because the Father gave him to you. And the Son took you. And the Son brought you in union with him so that you and him cannot be thought of separately. Head and body. Head and body can't be separated. Building, foundation and building can't be separated. Vine and branches can't be separated in that sense. Husband and wife, you are one with Christ and you are the fullness of him who fills all in all. You fill him in a mysterious way of one who you cannot be filled, but it's a mystery. You are one with him. And what this should do for you is give you boldness. One of the things that this should do is give you boldness in access to the Father because you come as one who has been given to Jesus, cleansed by Jesus, washed in Jesus, united to Jesus. Jesus' spirit is in you. And I'm going to speak, I'm going to speak reverently here, but this is where this thing takes us. You have as much access to the throne of grace as Jesus does. You can go boldly to heaven. I know some of you are afraid to die. I don't want to die. I know some of you are afraid about, I know some of you are, But listen, dear friends, what this verse is saying is you have boldness, cheerful courage. Heaven is my home. I'm a citizen there. My father is on the throne. I'm going to run into his arms. I belong there. I belong there more than archangels belong there. I belong there more than all the hosts of heaven belong there because I'm an adopted child of his. I'm one with Jesus. I'm in Christ. I belong there. I'm going boldly to heaven. I belong here. Sinner, fallen, wretched, but because of the blood I belong here. Because of the cross, I belong here. Because of my Savior, I belong here. Because the Father gave me to the Son, I belong here. Because the Son took me, I belong here. Because I'm united to Christ, I'm part of his bride. I'm part of his body. I belong here. 
Dear ones, this is the attitude that we are to have in Christ. And notice what it's supposed to do to us. Look at chapter 3 and verse 13. Paul then concludes and gives an application. Therefore, I ask you that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. What? Verse 12, you have boldness. You have access with confidence through faith in Christ. Verse 13, therefore, here's an application. Here's how to live it out. I ask you, don't lose heart. And the word means to be utterly dispirited. The word means to lose all of your steam, to lose all hope. That's what the word is. Very powerful word here. And Paul is saying, don't lose heart because I'm chained. Don't lose heart because these apostles, to whom the wisdom and this mystery has been given, are being jailed and executed. And, and, and people, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Why? Because you have boldness and access to God himself. Dear friends, this is what we're supposed to do. This big plan, this redemption, Ephesians 1, 3, all the way to this chapter, had such an impact upon Paul, and he wanted to have such an impact upon the Ephesians that no matter what they faced in life, they were like, I don't care. I have both, I can talk to my father. I can rush to the, even now by prayer, I can walk right into his throne room, send a message straight to him. They drop all the business from lesser things like archangels and, and Gabriel and Michael. Oh, just a second, I got a message from Todd. That's what it's like when you and I pray to God. We have that kind of boldness. We have that kind of access. And when we walk into heaven, a very important person just walked in, stop everything. One of my children just showed up. Dear ones, dear ones, our faith then should overcome our circumstances. And that's what Paul is saying here. Don't be disheartened. Don't be afraid. Don't worry about this persecution. Don't worry about this suffering. Yes, I am a chain, I'm chained right now. And yes, I'm writing as the chains rattle. But so what? We have boldness and access through Jesus Christ. We're part of the eternal plan. God gave us to the Son. We're in. We're saved. The blood has cleansed us. And with that faith, face life. Face your circumstances. Face your emotions. Fear comes. Face that fear. Shout it down. Overbelieve. Overhope. Overcome it. Let your faith overcome your circumstances. Let your faith overcome your emotions. Don't be a victim. We live in a day and an age where so many people are such victims of their emotions, their insecurities. The smallest little downturn just puts them into a tizzy. They whine about everything. They're depressed about everything. They're anxious and they're scared of their own shadow. Dear ones, we should be walking boldly through this world as children of the living God, deeply loved by God, a God who is all-powerful, who's in control, who's doing all things for his, our own good, who's even bringing difficult circumstances into our life for good. And so when a difficult circumstance comes into your life, don't just crumble. Say, okay, God's got something in here for me. God's got something for me to learn because he's in control and he's my father and he deeply loves me. Father, give me grace. Give me help. Send me your spirit. Help me get through this. When anxiety comes, when fears come, when worries come, when, when these emotions come, beat them down by the truth of God. Wait a minute, I'm a child of the living God. And sometimes I just want to grab my own shirt and say, stop worrying. You're a child of the living God. Dear ones, you are so blessed. We have been so blessed. Let those blessings dictate over our emotions overwhelm our emotions. 
bring our emotions into submission. That's why Jesus says, believe. Where is your unbelief? Do not fear, only believe. We're to overcome our emotions. By faith, through this wonderful truth that God has given us. Is there anyone here who knows nothing of this? You're so alone, you're so lost, you're so scared. You're a slave to your feelings. You're constantly worrying. You're fearful. You're fretful. You're anxious. Your emotions just rule you. Your life is just so scary. It's because you don't have God in your life. You don't realize you haven't, you haven't made reconciliation with God through Christ. You haven't given up your sins, trusted in Jesus. Find the new birth. Find adoption. Know this God Pour your mind and, and get the good stuff in your brain instead of all this garbage that's coming in your brain. And begin to feel and experience and know this confidence and wake up in the morning. Say good morning to your heavenly father and know that with your, him in, your hand in his hand, he's going to lead you and guide you and bless you and be with you and strengthen you and help you no matter what comes. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens. You need Jesus. You need to turn to him. You need to come to him. Come to him now. Come to him. Pray to him. Ask him. Save me, Lord Jesus. Give me everlasting life. Bring me into the family of God. And Jesus says, all that the Father has given me, all who come to me, I will not turn one away. Not one. Let's pray together. Father, there is little to be said now, but thank you and praise you and glorify you for lavishing grace upon us through Jesus, your Son. Father, thank you that we right now are boldly welcomed into your throne room as we pray this moment in your majestic, glorious ear and attention is upon us whom you've loved before the foundation of the world, whom you gave to Jesus, who is right now at your right hand, who is our high priest. We come boldly to you now not because of us. We come boldly because of him and all that you have given us in him. Oh, Father, is there anyone lost here this day? Anyone who walks in here and is just apart from you, doesn't know any of these things? Oh, Father, you have them here in this room for a reason, to tell them the good news. Father, I pray if there's any lost soul here today, save them. Save them. Open their eyes. And if there's any that are calling upon you right now, oh, Father, come to them. Hear their prayer. Give them eternal life. We know you will not cast any of them away. Thank you that you're such a great and good God. The proper response now is to sing your praises. Bless us as we sing your praises. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.